Christ is risen. Christos anesti. Christos voscresi. Christos enviat. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This Sunday of Pascha, we celebrate and commemorate the Sunday of the paralytic. We also on this day on the calendar celebrate the defender of orthodoxy, St. Alexis Toth, who brought thousands into the Orthodox Church here in America. Our Lord, when he enters into Jerusalem in this gospel reading this morning, and enters into the Sheep Gate, which is called Bethesda, because it has five porches, he beholds a great multitude. Five porches is a lot. The temple had four porches. What we're told here is five porches. A whole lot of sick, blind, lame, paralyzed people looking to the water, looking for the stirring of that water. When they had seen others healed when an angel came down. Now the angel came down and touched that water because this is where the sheep that were to be sacrificed, their entrails were cleansed in this particular pool. And so we have the connection of the sacrifice to healing. This is one of these great images that we behold in Pascha, our Lord entering into pain, suffering, and a whole lot of it. And all looking for eager anticipation for to be the first one into that stirred up water. Now our Lord enters and he immediately locks eyes with a man 38 years old. And like many encounters in the Gospel of John, this is kind of an odd encounter if we're used to the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's not much of a conversation that our Lord has. In other parts of John, he has very long conversations. But this is a very quick encounter. Jesus locks eyes with the man and he says, Do you want to be made well? The sick man looks at him. I'm sure there's a kind of like, why do you think that I'm here? I've literally brought my bed. (laughs) I'm camping out here. I am, of course, here as opposed to all sorts of other places, just like everybody else, because we want to get into that water. So the sick man does not just, you know, say, yes, I want to be made well. He is quick to recruit Christ. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But when I'm going down trying to get there, somebody else stands before me. Can you imagine this scene? Someone who has to rely on others for his movement. And I'm guessing he gets beat there because if he's paralytic, that means he can't walk. But he can crawl. 
So you can think, how many times has this man tried, you know, doing the army crawling, trying to beat others to this pool? And now he finds someone who's taken an interest in him. And he's going to say, will you stand with me? Will you wait with me? And then when the pool is stirred up, you can put me in. You can actually get me into that water. There's something so patient and yet persistent about this man. Patience because he's going, he's coming, he's got his bed, his mat is laid out. And he is going to wait it out. And he's done this many times before, but he has not given up. And you see this persistence in this patience, because while also not giving up, as soon as Christ locks eyes with him and asks him a question, he's ready to recruit him to get him into that water. This man's faithfulness in patient persistence is, of course, a great icon for us. For as this water, when it gets stirred up, heals one person, the waters of baptism that our Lord has prepared for us, that he himself administers administers to us in plunging us into his own death and then raising us up into his resurrection, this is saving all mankind. But here we have one man patiently persistent and faithful who's ready to be healed so our lord does not engage him in a long conversation he just proclaims rise take up your bed and walk and scripture tells us that the man got up picked up his bed and he walked Now, what happens because of this healing? You would imagine everybody else in those porticos and those porches is saying, Hey, Christ, hello, this guy, we've seen him day after day, week after week, he's here. And those who are around beyond, outside, they should be rejoicing. There should be great fanfare. But what is the reaction? We're told by the gospel writer the day was Sabbath. And the Jews, when they saw this man walking around with his bed, it's one thing to walk. It's another thing to pick up your bed and walk around with your bed. It is the Sabbath, they tell him. You're not supposed to be walking around with your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Part of the reason why I said this gospel is a little odd. Does this man know Jesus? He doesn't know who this is that's healed him. He's just taking full advantage of what he's been given. So when they ask him, you know, this is wrong. You're not supposed to be doing this. Of course, this is always these encounters about the Sabbath conflict are always mind blowing to me. The fixation on you should be walking around with your bed instead of you're walking. This fixation completely missing Christ. It's very interesting in the Gospel of John. Just thinking that you see Jesus, but as the scripture tells us, 
he's disappeared. He's moved back into the shadows and removed himself. So again, our Lord finds this man. And what does our Lord tell him? Again, I think this is not in keeping with the Synoptic Gospels. We get a little different picture of Jesus here in John. You have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now the man knows who has healed him. But he goes quickly and tells the Jews, it was Jesus. Now the scripture tells us beyond what we had assigned for this morning for the gospel reading, that now the Jews are ready to kill him. They're ready to persecute him. They're in pursuit of him. Because he has broke the Sabbath. What is Jesus' answer to them? Jesus says to them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now the Jews understand very quickly what is going on. Because if you were to sit down and ponder the third commandment, which we have from Exodus 20, to keep the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, Why? Because six days God created, and on the seventh he rested. So, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, neither anyone in your home, not even your cattle, nor a stranger who happens to be with you. Because God made the heavens and the earth to see in all that is in them in six days, and he rested on the seventh. And because of this, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So the question becomes, how does God rest? Does God take off work? Does he abdicate? Does he stop being God and just kind of goes off on holiday? No, right? The Jews have figured out God's way of resting is not the way that we typically rest, which is why we need to figure out how does God rest? Moses did not give the name of rest to mere inactivity, but God's rest is a working with absolute ease without toil, without suffering. Jesus in saying, I'm working like the Father, is Jesus saying, I'm working like God. I am God. So of course, the Jews who are fixated on, you've broken the law, now they're like, whoa, we've gone beyond breaking the law. We now have someone who has made himself equal with the Father. This challenge of the Sabbath is something that I think we believe is something that's reserved just for the Jews. Because we read about it, it's a uh, source of contention between the leaders and Jesus throughout the Gospels. 
We're supposed to keep the Sabbath. And they have, the Jews, created a whole system about how to keep the Sabbath. Very intricate details about how we will keep the Sabbath. But our Lord comes, as he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, he does not destroy the law, right? He does not just take, this is all nice and good, and then throw it out. He says, I've come to fulfill it. While Christians have the Old Testament, we have it in its completion, its fulfillment in Christ. We get to see God active in Jesus Christ. We see God resting when we look at Jesus Christ. We ourselves fulfill the commandments, but we know and understand the commandments through Jesus Christ. So Christians keep the Sabbath. We do not keep it on Saturdays, as the fathers tell us, for this was the last day of the old creation, and it's a commemoration of creation itself, right? That's what Exodus tells us. But as Christians, keeping the Sabbath is now Sunday. It is the day of resurrection. It is the eighth day. That is the first and the last day. It is the day of eternity where the light of God himself comes into creation. And we ourselves, following after Jesus Christ, have the same kind of pattern, work and rest, that we find in the Old Testament. For if we are to be and act like God, that means our rest is not mere inactivity. To keep the Sabbath, to keep Sundays holy, is very hard. This isn't about whether or not we move a bed or a mat around, right? That we have very detailed, you can only go so many yards outside of your door and all of that. That's not what Christian keeping of the Sabbath is. It's hard not because of these kind of rules. It's hard because we live in a society that's obsessed with work, with efficiency, with all those life hacks. Some of them are quite nice, I must say, especially in cooking, right? But just look on the internet. What is put in front of us all the time? How to be more efficient. How to find little hacks to make life more enjoyable. But all the time, work, 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 work. Careers, what we're focused on, even for our children, that their lives, junior high, high school, are all focused on how are they going to get into school? What is the next school? How are we going to focus on all of this? How this is the most important thing, because if we don't focus in kindergarten, right, which kindergarten they go to, how are they ever going to get into Harvard? You might laugh here, maybe this is not, but this is North America. <laughs> we are obsessed with figuring out how we're going to put our children or ourselves in the best track so that we can be successful. And then when we come to resting, what do we do to rest? We either just consume stuff, right? Or we just collapse and we're still passive. Netflix, <laughs> Amazon Prime, 
doom scrolling, right? All of this stuff that we do and we're resting. But we're not actually resting. Rest for us in this culture of kind of self-care is almost always mindless consumption. Leisure is what we're actually after. Leisure is an attitude that takes us back to Exodus that we see in Christ, where we restore a mind of work than of rest. That is an attitude of the soul that is receptive, that is actually resting, that is able to receive the world. This means not just passive absorbing of things. This means giving space, time, such that the world itself reveals itself to us. That Christ himself can reveal himself to us. I've had many conversations and I've experienced it myself. We're about to go into holiday season, right? School year is coming to an end. Where does the word holiday, what is the root of holiday? Holy day, right? On holy days, do we go and just mindlessly consume? Doesn't that seem counterintuitive to each other? Do we actually rest? Do we fulfill what the prophet says, be still and know that I am God? St. Gregory Palamas tells us, one day of the week is called the Lord's day because it is consecrated to the Lord who on that day arose from the dead, disclosing and giving assurance of the general resurrection, when every earthly activity will come to an end. And you must not engage in any worldly activity that is not essential. And you must allow those who are under your authority and those who live with you to rest, so that together you may all glorify him who redeemed us through his death and who rose from the dead and resurrected our human nature with himself. And here's the practical things that St. Gregory tells us. You should bring to mind the age to come and meditate upon all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. You should examine yourself to see whether you have transgressed or overlooked any of them. And you should correct yourself in all ways. On this day, on the Lord's day, and later he says all feast days, not just the Lord's days, but Lord's days and the great feasts of the church, You should go to the temple of God and attend the services held there. And with sincere faith and a clean conscience, you should receive the holy body and blood of Christ. You should make a beginning of a more perfect life and renew and prepare yourself for the reception of the eternal blessings to come. In this way, you will sanctify the Sabbath, observing it by doing no evil deeds. There is... These Sundays, these days dedicated to the Lord, that is the end goal of our entire week. This is the day of rest. That does not mean that we just sit somewhere and don't do anything or just lay in our beds and rest. But this is a day dedicated to things of celebration, of things that give life, of being able to be still and receive from without. St. Alexis Toth, who we commemorate this day, very specifically in his directions to those in his care, brings up, bring your children to church on Sundays. 
Spend the day in reading, prayer, and rest. He also says, be on time on Sunday mornings so that you can actually benefit from the service to be prepared to receive Holy Communion. Keeping the Sabbath, again, it's not about all these laws that I'm going to like, say, you should, never, you should never leave Knoxville on a Sunday or something like that. This is not the idea. It's not about some detailed laws or rules. But it is about learning patterns of true rest. Not just mindless consumption of true celebration. Not just numbing of the self of being able to have our work throughout the week, to be able to step back, to rejoice in our children, in the things and gifts that God has given to us, to return creation itself back to God, to rejoice in it. This is why St. Alexis, he has a focus for our children, because we have inherited a culture that does not do this anymore. It used to be that you... like. On a Sunday, you ate at home. Why? Because places weren't open. <laughs> there used to be that you couldn't go shopping on a Sunday because it's Sunday. If the culture that we want our children to have is one that is reflecting what the church teaches, it is in little ways finding how we can restore Sunday to a day of rest, of celebration. Because God is working, but it is not a kind of work that we tend to think of. It is the work that he does to make all things beautiful, to bring life. So that we should be like the paralytic who's there, he's got his bed, he's resting. He doesn't seek out the Lord. He's not working, he's not, you know, seeing him panhandling or something like that. He's just there, ready and expectant. And the Lord finds him. Later on, after he's been healed and he's walking around, is it that the paralytic is searching for Jesus? Yes, but what does the text tell us? Jesus finds him. Let us be like the paralytic. Let us listen to the words of St. Alexis, St. Gregory. Let us find a way to rest in our Lord's resurrection in the life-giving work that he has given to us, that life itself has great meaning, purpose, and is something made to celebrate in the glory of our Lord's resurrection. Christ is risen. He is risen.